Hey everyone, welcome to Onto Waveland presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70 celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. I'm Saadev Sharma with Patrick Mooney uh, to talk about your lovable Cubs, everybody's favorite Chicago baseball team, right? Uh, Patrick, things things aren't going so well post-deadline. I'm not sure what, what fans were expecting, what media was expecting, but but things are about as bad as they get with the Cubs. And, and now we've, we've said we're saying goodbye to Jake Arrieta on a not-so-high note for Arrieta ending his Cubs career. It was uh, another one of those rough outings for Arrieta. This isn't the first one we've seen this season but seven runs i believe in the first uh, first inning you were there uh it was a particularly rough jake arietta outing and then the post game i don't think uh, went any better uh but it, it really was an unceremonious uh, goodbye for jake arietta with his cubs tenure yeah, to start, let's just say this is Brett Taylor's regularly scheduled day off. We don't need any wellness <laughs> checks on him as the Cubs uh, really become just unwatchable. I mean, you know, football scores uh, being put up against him and that Arietta first inning and his uh, Zoom video conference at the end of the night was just a uh, kind of... Uh, there was no other path for the Cubs to choose a, at that point. It was just, uh, you know, Jake saying those balls found holes. Well, there was, I mean, eight hits <laughs> against 11 batters in the first inning. Like, you know, uh, that all just can't be bad luck for a guy with a six something ERA. And, you know, it's, uh, I wouldn't use the word <clears throat> sad, but it was just awkward. Uh, kind of how it ended after, you know, you know, as well as anyone's how to have how great Jake was to talk to, whether it was about like the intric intricacies of pitching or kind of his state of mind or the state of the Cubs as they were, you know, on this historic quest to end the 1908, um, you know, curse hanging over the team. And he absolutely lived up to that and was just really fun to cover it was fun to watch you never knew if he'd throw a no hitter like there was he was just locked in during that stretch and he pitched as well as like anyone in the history of the game and uh what we saw in this return uh was simply one of the worst starting pitchers in the game yeah i i was thinking about uh retirements and guys going away I haven't covered that many of them yet you know like guys I'm trying to think of the recent ones you know there was not much fanfare for Ben Zobrist it it, it kind of happened unexpectedly right he, he went through a divorce left the team came back for a couple months never really said he was retiring and I assume he's retired John Lackey didn't even talk to us, didn't even say anything. We, we got all these flowery quotes from John Lester and couldn't even use them because John Lackey wouldn't talk to us. So so it was just like, okay, that's typical John Lackey. It wasn't a surprise, really, right? Uh, and, and then Jake, uh, it was it, it's one of those things that I think athletes go out in different ways. They... They, they know when it's time to hang up or they have this great season like maybe David Ortiz and say, I said it's I'm done and I'm done. And and then there's guys that that are kind of in denial. And I think that's that's what I got from Jake Arrieta blaming continually saying the the, the ball found holes. 
uh, bringing up defensive miscues when your hard hit rate is among the worst in baseball where every single time I'll say this when that that last start not the last start against Milwaukee the last one in Milwaukee the one in the middle of the 11 game losing streak when they went up when the Cubs went up seven nothing and Jake Arrieta came up onto the mound and he threw a few pitches I was like this lead isn't safe I knew it right away because we've watched enough Arietta. and when you're at that point in your career where a seven nothing lead isn't safe uh, and you're blaming your defense or you're saying I still have it that's that's a rough point to be at that's not how you should go out uh it's too bad that it came to that but uh, I agree like he was great to cover uh, I mean I I've written about how he changed the way I think about doing my job because he was one of those guys that was willing to answer any question and a lot of guys stonewalled me early on when I tried to get into the intricacies of pitching which I love I mean we all know every anyone that's read my work knows how much I love to dig into that stuff and Arietta was willing to do that uh, but he's also a guy that has always been ultra confident you know I, I thought it was a guy coming into his own back in 14 and 15 and and finding that confident confidence I, I think that just is always how he's carried himself he carried himself when he was at his worst points in Baltimore and he's still carrying himself like that now he thinks he still has it uh hey maybe maybe there is a, a level where he he'll get back to pitching passably for some team uh this year maybe, maybe that maybe we're completely wrong but I that I wasn't seeing it I wasn't seeing any signs of it I don't think anybody was seeing any signs of it and I think the Cubs gave him a really long leash far longer than uh, anyone uh, not named Jake Arrieta or John Lester or something like that would have gotten. Uh, so uh, it was it was a rough ending in Chicago, uh, but it was the right move. They, they need to bring up Keegan Thompson. They, they need to see, I think Jed Hoyer spoke to us yesterday, and I think, it, you know, there was a lot to take away from that, and we can talk about that. But one of the things he said is these next two months, we're going to find out some things about certain players. Now, you're not going to see Brennan Davis. You're not going to see this isn't 2014 Cubs where prospects, the core prospects started coming up. But this matters still like some of this, like Justin Steele's start, whatever day that was, Tuesday was important. That's an important step. Albert Alzali throwing change ups and getting lefties out and uh, performing well against a White Sox team that is that we're seeing is is one of the most electric in baseball. That was important over the weekend. Uh when Keegan Thompson comes up, that watching that will be important. There's there's not much else. I I, I got to be honest. Like, I, listen, I I like what Rafael Ortega is doing. Patrick Wisdom is a, is a cool story. Are any of these guys starters on a on a winning ball club? I, I think that's the way you need to look at it. Are are they nice stories? Sure. Frank Schwindel is hitting right now and he hits the ball hard. Great. That that's really cool. I'm I'm happy for these stories. I'm I'm happy for uh, baseball players making it uh, that that have worked their butts off and and gone through various uh, things throughout their minor league careers to finally get these opportunities. But this isn't a team you, these aren't offensive players you build around. Now with Nico Horner on the shelf, Nick Madrigal's out for the season, Wilson Contreras is on the shelf. There's just not a lot on offense that you can cling to. It's 
it's three guys that well, two guys in the rotation right now, a third that will be coming up eventually in Thompson. And then you kind of see what like Manny Rodriguez and Cody Hoyer have in the bullpen. It's like, can these guys work the seventh and eighth for someday when they have a closer and are winning games again? Yeah. You know, that's if you really want to get into that. Sure. But that's there's not much to follow with this team over these next two months. It's bench guys and, and a few starters starting pitchers. It's a great point about how this almost never ends well for anyone. That's just kind of the nature of the business that it made me think of David Ross, who had this storybook ending as a player yep. getting carried off the field on his teammates shoulders and, and winning the world series and going on Saturday night live. I think he was on Ellen. Maybe he wrote this best-selling memoir and Smoothly transitioned into Dancing with the Stars, ESPN, Theo's special assistant. And look, I mean, he he got a very prestigious job with no formal training or experience. So, like, this is not, you know, a pity party for David Ross, but uh, this team he's managing now is uh, dramatically different from the group he inherited. And I think he sees the big picture fairly well Uh, I think he's going to have a very strong voice in whatever the Cubs become next Uh, Jed Hoyer trusts him Uh, Sahadev you've written about this we've both heard this from different places of how he's kind of this connective tissue a guy who can kind of uh, speak talk ball with scouts and also kind of absorb uh, R&D's point of view and you know i thought it was interesting when you asked him on thursday before the game of this idea that you've seen on cubs twitter the cubs should just tank and try to lose every single game the rest of the year and i don't rossi was not feeling that one (laughs) <laughs> I yeah, I could barely finish the question without him like looking at me like he wasn't mad at me. He knew where what I was getting at, but he he was clearly he doesn't like that concept. That anyone that thinks he's uh he's trying to lose games or or is happy that that they're you know get angling for a better draft pick with this roster uh i i think is sorely mistaken and doesn't understand the competitive juices that flow through these people I, you know I, I think i get it i get people uh see this team and and say well they're built to lose right now yeah they they essentially are but that's that's be, i mean what happened what 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 do you expect why i I've seen some surprise and anger about the team's performance and i i'm like they lost 11 games in a row with those superstars like the and then they traded them all away and people are surprised that they're just getting their butts kicked. I, I don't want to mock the players that are out there. Like I said, they've worked hard to get to where they are. This isn't about them, but there is a talent deficiency that we're seeing here. There is nobody to build around on offense. There are pitchers that are learning to pitch in the big leagues, taking their lumps. Uh, Kyle Hendricks had one of his worst outings we've seen on Thursday. I mean, they're just there's a uh, culmination of really bad baseball happening on the north side, and it's just it's not a surprise. That's what happens when you trade away everyone. They traded away everyone that was good. Uh, so it, this is to be expected, but it's also not it's not to be accepted beyond this season. It it better not be what we see in 2022 and that that's I kind of push that for 
Hoyer and was curious what Ross uh, thought about that. And and neither of them believe this is, signifies, you know, is an indication of what we'll see beyond uh, the rest of this season. Obviously, they, there's not much they can do now. I think I think some people are like really upset that this is where they're at and like, what are they going to do? It's like, well, <laughs> there's nothing they can do right now. <laughs> like, they, you, Let's see what happens in the winter. You want to get mad at them. Hey, there's a good chance that they're not able to do what what they need to do to make this a better team in next uh, next summer. I, I'm not sure what they'll do. You know, I, I, I'm sure that there is a desire to make this team at least respectable and and one that can compete in a that what looks like a weaker NL Central going forward and and one that can uh, at least use 2022 as a stepping stone right to to better things uh, uh, maybe like a mix of like uh, it's, I don't want to compare it to everything that we've seen in the past with the Cubs, right? So so it's hard to just say it's the same rebuild, it's the same thing, it's the same process, because it's not, and it can't be. Different things need to be done. One of the biggest criticisms of the rebuild, of the, the previous rebuild, was they didn't spend early on. It was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Patrick, but I think it was just Edwin Jackson was the only really big deal signed. I think they tried to sign others. They didn't have the really the financial might or weren't given the financial might to really be aggressive with guys like Cespedes or you Darvish and maybe a couple other names out there uh you were you were on the beat every day back then I wasn't so I may be missing some names but they they were trying to get into some some free agents but never really pushed hard and and it was what it was right it was a full-on tank if that's what this is Nobody should accept that. Nobody should be happy with it. Even if it, even if they sell us some story that this is the best path, this is what the CBA has led us to. You can't, you can't do that. You can't watch this team lose a hundred games for two, three years, and then hope that they hit on those top five draft picks. And and everything went right last time. We're, the the Cubs fans, Cubs fans are lucky that that took three years. From two thousand, it was only twelve, thirteen, and fourteen where there was a lot of losing. Uh, they hit on a lot of trades. They hit on uh, all their dra- first round draft picks. And then we saw, saw the unluckiness as far as, you know, how much luck you need to hit on pitching and pitching development and later round draft picks. They didn't hit on any of that. And this and a lot of that is the reason why we're sitting here covering a, a Cubs team that just isn't good enough right now. I think, you know, you hit on a lot of good points there that I mean even if Theo was still in charge like Theo couldn't pull off what Theo did last time I mean the patience level um, the expectations uh, the strategic landscape uh, a lot of it's changed and I think that's why they're gonna have to focus on starting pitching to make this product more competitive on a nightly basis I mean it's still starts with your starting pitchers like that's kind of my bottom line takeaway from this year and you know they were you know they they bid for Darvish but didn't go crazy on it maybe they finished second or third in the in the posting process and they were on Cespedes but that kind of went to a place that surprised them uh I think they were Definitely in the running for Ryu. Um, now, some of this, too, is just having the conviction to do that, right? But it was also the 
kind of budget landscape at that point had gotten a, uh, a level where uh, Theo had this pretty good idea of essentially creating like a baseball operations savings account. So they bid for Tanaka, didn't think they'd finish first, but when they didn't, they didn't just kind of spend it on filler or kind of trying to make the product look better without really being convicted in, in what they were doing. And so they held that back and that helped them close the John Lester deal. So I think there's just a ton of pressure at every level of the organization right now um, to get this right and, you know, make this competitive. You know, they talk about the next great Cubs team. And I think there's a lot of fans just, I mean, in talking to people, <laughs> neighbors, friends, uh, social media, like there's a lot of anger out there. Uh, and I think if you want people to watch your network, if you want people to show up to Wrigley Field, um, of course, there'll be the one-offs like summer in Chicago, you're going to want to stop by. But if they want people rolling into Wrigley Field over and over again and being engaged with their team, they've done a lot to alienate their fan base. And that doesn't mean they can't come back. I mean, they you know, <laughs> had more than a century of bad baseball, didn't ruin their business model, but uh, the world's changed. And I think it'll be uh, just something where no one can sit back and be like, well, we'll, we'll figure it out. I think there's going to be a, a very aggressive, targeted approach to this offseason, uh, especially just there's so much money coming off the books, no matter where the budget is set they're going to have a lot to spend and Wrigley Field's been renovated and they have their new spring training complex. They have their uh, academy in the Dominican. It's like, it's got to go towards the product. They need to uh, show something, a goodwill gesture towards their fans. Otherwise they're just going to tune out. And I think they, they already are in large part uh, when you're looking at August and September of this lost season. Patrick, when you talk about the the budget, it, it's you know you look at the numbers. It's it's going to be guaranteed money. I think is just under fifty million. You bring in Arb, I think it'll push it to around eighty million. There's, I don't think it's when when people get frustrated and say this team doesn't spend. What they're frustrated about is saying that they haven't spent recently, right? And and they came into this season not spending much there. There was basically a spending freeze until about late January when they finally had a better idea of what they want, what they could spend and, and got a little more aggressive with whatever was remaining, which wasn't much obviously. Uh, but if, if that's the, their reality, if that's, if this is going to be a team that is, you know, pulling back and not spending, I, it it would be a little mind boggling to me if you, if you're going to have a hundred million dollar payroll or hundred and twenty million dollar payroll. There are players that you can go out and and get uh, that that can be had for short term deals for big AAVs. I, I I just quickly looked at free agents. Noah Syndergaard is going to be coming off injury. Why not overpay him for a one year deal? Uh, Michael Conforto came off of, is is having a terrible season overpay him on a one-year deal what's the risk on a one-year deal that you get nothing from a guy that has all-star or more potential that i mean that's the risk every single time you sign any deal 
that's uh, I was told that uh, early on uh, when covering baseball, an executive said, "Anytime you sign a deal, you have to assume it's immediately a sunk cost. You have to you have to be willing to assume it's a sunk cost immediately." This team needs to start taking risks like that. They need to look at their very deep. They have a very deep farm system now. Is it a number one farm system? No. Does it have that type of upside? Maybe. They have a lot of talent in the uh, in the Arizona Complex League in the low and low A, and and if you can if you can put together a package for a guy that's an arb for a team like Tampa Bay or Oakland or someone like that that's always resetting, the Cubs can't. The Cubs should be looking to be more flexible with how they do things. Right? They they can take some advice from those smaller market teams, but they can't. They can't replicate that model because they have financial might and they and they have to do things differently. They have to be more aggressive in certain ways. So if you can get someone that one team deems too expensive, but with your financial might, you can throw around that uh, uh, that money and say, we'll take that guy's last two arb years and be aggressive in extending him. Do that. Uh, yeah, they're they're. It does. It may not make sense to sign post thirty free agents to you know six year deals this winter, but Carlos Correa is going to be twenty seven. Uh, plays shortstop, and who's the closest shortstop? Is it Ed Howard, who is struggling mightily at low A? Uh, I they don't they don't have a future shortstop right now. You want to like you want to pump up Christian Hernandez? Fine. He's he's playing in the Dominican Summer League right now. He's not coming anytime soon. You can give Carlos Correa a long deal and be aggressive and and he fits into your plans. And that's I I think the Cubs need to be aggressive this winter. They need to figure out who who those players are that could fit into plans whether it's 2022 or long-term plans as well. And and yes, they're not going to be the team that jumps the market waiting for the CBA to come. There's my guess is there will be a team or two, maybe more, that are just aggressive and say, "I don't care what the rules are. I'm like these guys want money right now. I'm going to pay them and and not have competition to pay them because only one or two other teams are are trying to sign free agents before the CA, CBA gets done." I don't know. We don't know if there'll be a freeze, a spending freeze, like a, a transaction freeze or anything like that. So maybe that can't happen. But if if there is no transaction freeze, I'm almost positive some team is going to try and take advantage of other teams and not negotiating with players. But I, I'd be I think we'd agree that the Cubs aren't going to be that team that does that. So so once once the CBA is figured out, the Cubs need to act like the Cubs did back at prior to 15, prior to 16, and just go back to being that team that aggressively pursues free agents and says this is a place where you can have a chance to not only win, but also you you have a starting spot. It's guaranteed. Noah Syndergaard, you're, you're in our rotation. Or someone else, that I, I'm just throwing Noah Syndergaard because he was one of the names I saw on free agents that isn't going to... It's I'd be surprised if he gets like a... A, you know, more than a two-year deal coming off TJ, and and I'm not even sure if he's going to pitch this year. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong there. Maybe the market is going to be weird. But those are the types of deals you need to be looking at, and and players that are sub thirty and and be that that have a ton of talent, and and you need to be aggressive in signing those guys. It's this is not a this can't be a three or four year plan. I know Jed has said this isn't 
2012 and 2013 over again, but he has to do more than say that and, and, and show us that that's the case with what types of moves they make, trades and free agents. This can't be a build through the draft and top five picks for three straight years rebuild. This has to be uh, done differently and there has to be other strategies used because it, it's just not an acceptable way for this team to to build it. You want two months of really bad baseball? Fine. You want two years of really bad baseball? It, it's not going to fly anymore. I was looking at that same list and Syndergaard's a good one. John Gray, Robbie Ray, Marcus Stroman. Those pitchers around 29, 30 years old who've been like pretty good, but not like... Uh, great consistently year after year that they're going to command uh you know a john lester type deal and i think that might give you a more of a competitive floor it would buy you some time uh to figure out what you have in alzalea and steel give you a little protection too because it's not like they're going to just jump to like 200 innings uh every year at the front of your rotation uh i think Conversations with Wilson Contreras over the years have taken place and whether or not that leads to an extension, I think that's going to be on both sides uh, agenda. I think we've, we, we'd agree the bullpen, there's enough there to work with that. They're probably just going to throw that, you know, throw 20 relievers against the wall and see what sticks. Maybe they get a, an established late inning guy or like a closer type that they could flip if this next year goes south and you know winning a bidding war for Carlos Correa sounds like a stretch to me um like that Jed's yeah, going I, to I agree but he's the absolute perfect you know type player I mean I, I still remember how he just wowed Cubs officials uh before the draft I think that was 2012 uh took batting practice there and Dale Swain like compared him to A-Rod and the Cubs privately saw a scenario where if, you know, Houston didn't take him, they thought he was going to fall to them uh, at number six. But yeah, I think we'll get into this. We don't want to give away our entire story, but at some point in the next couple of days, we were talking about this idea of like how to do this and to be a little more flexible, a little more creative, because it's not going to be lose 100 games and uh, draft near the top of the first round again. Yeah, it's. I mean, I, I don't think Cubs fans uh, should have to suffer through that ultimately. And, uh, you know, I, I I don't want to have to cover a losing team for multiple years. I'm sure Cubs fans don't want to have to watch it. They're all I mean, like we like we started out saying this, you know, two weeks in and they're already pulling their hair out. Uh, it's it's frustrating to watch. It's not fun. And then you have a team on the other side of town that's one of the most exciting to watch, uh, you know, uh, you say whatever you want about the movie Field of Dreams and and the, what's go you know the the venue for that and and everything. I thought it was just one of the greatest ways for MLB to promote the game. They lucked out with that game. It was it was great, and the White Sox are one of the most fun teams in baseball. Hopefully, Cubs fans have something similar to to root for sooner rather than later. Uh, we'd I think we'd both enjoy covering the playoffs again uh, sometime soon because it certainly doesn't seem like it's happening anytime soon. But but they got to change our change the direction quickly. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, this is on to Waveland, the Cubs podcast on the Athletic. You can read my work and Patrick's work on the Athletic. 
Uh, we'll be back at you next week, uh, breaking down uh, a few more Cubs losses, I'm sure, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and and the march towards a, a top five pick. Uh, it's been a while since we've had to do that, but uh, thanks for listening. Make sure to rate, review, all that good stuff, and uh, appreciate you listening. Take care. Thanks.